You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Forefront, and happy Advent. We are now in the third week of Advent, so just one week away uh, when we continue to light our candles as we draw closer and closer to the Christmas time. Uh, As you heard, I'm Reverend Josh Raderly, and he, him, serves one of the co-pastors here. And um, as we kind of draw closer today, I want to talk with us a little bit about what it looks like to choose a better way when we're given many options and choices in this life. Now, I know that sounds ambiguous, and we'll unpack that in a moment, but I want to first share with you um, that I got a call this week from one of my longest friends, and from my longest friend, Bridget. Uh, we became friends in elementary school, and then in high school, she became my beard. And if you're queer, you may know what that means, but basically, she's the person I hid behind so people didn't know I was gay. Uh, we went to prom together, we went to homecoming together, and it's okay to chuckle to such things. And uh, she was the person that really just stood by my side. Um, And at my wedding, she was able to stand up and be a part of that day as well. But when she called me, um, it's been about two months since since Austin and I got married, and so she just wanted to reflect with me about how she had experienced my day after she had had some time thinking about it. And so as we were on the phone talking, she started to cry. And she said, you know, I didn't realize until I got to your wedding that I was the only friend that you had left from high school. And then I was talking with the only friend you have left from college who was also standing up in the wedding. And she said, and I just was overwhelmed by this feeling at your wedding that I was standing in for so many people in so many different seasons of your life who were no longer there. You see, when I came out as gay affirming, I lost uh, most of my friends in high school and in college. And everyone was sort of faced with a choice of what they would do. Would they stand alongside me? Would they support me? Or would they sort of walk away and go a different direction? And Bridget and my friend Max were the only ones remaining from those seasons in my life. And she said the weight of that was super heavy because she said, you know, there were lots of people at our wedding, but there wasn't really anyone else who knew you in those other seasons. And you have grown and changed and become so different than you were. And she said the weight of that really sat on me for the very first time when I realized how many people you had lost in your life. It's a heavy thing, right? When you come to a new understanding of a different truth, of a different revelation, maybe when you have an experience of God that causes you to see God differently, it causes you to see the world differently, it causes you to see different people differently, and when people in your life don't align with that. And so many people in my life, when I had a shift in theology, a shift in belief, which ended up being a shift and change in me, there were many people who did not get to see the new thing that God was birthing in me. There were people who totally missed it, and there were, quite frankly, people who I wished could have been at my wedding to see the change, the progression, the the movement of God, what God was doing and birthing in me. Now, the Bible says that they will know you by your fruit. You know that one? You know that one? They will know you by your fruit. Well, I tell you what. I've gotten pretty fruity, and, and I really wish that there were some people at my wedding who could have saw just how fruity I am. 
Because quite frankly, I, I, I really think that, that there's something beautiful about having people in your life who've journeyed to see you changing and evolving and growing. The man I was in my 20s is very different than the man I am in my 30s now, and, and I hope the man I'm in my 40s is very different than the man I am in my 30s. I hope that as a progressive Christian that I'm always progressing, I'm always changing. Why? Because I'm always coming to a deeper understanding of God, and I'm coming to a deeper understanding of God through my interaction and relationship with other people. And as I get to know people who've been created in the image of God, I come to know God better. I come to know myself better. And so that causes me to change. That is, if I surround myself with people who don't think, act, believe just like me, and I'm not an echo chamber. My idea, my vision of God is expanded. So my question to you this morning is, has, have you had experiences like me? Have you experienced a shift or a change in how you understood yourself or God or spirituality or racism or sexism or sexuality or perhaps the expectations that, you, that your family has for you versus the expectations that you have for you? Have you experienced these shifts or these changes at any point in your life? And more than that, has it been difficult for certain people in your life to trust the work that God was doing in you? to trust the new understandings and the revelations and the changes that you've had? Was it difficult for people? Were there people in your journey who decided that they couldn't journey with you any longer? They couldn't walk alongside you. They couldn't support you. Maybe because we live often in a world where everything's so polarized, and if we don't agree with everyone sitting around the kitchen table, then we don't want to sit at the table. Have you lost people because they just couldn't see how fruity you got? They couldn't see how your fruit was ripening, how it was growing, how it was blossoming. They chose to no longer sit at that tree with you. Well, I think in our text today that there's someone else that knows that feeling very well, and that was Mary. Mary had a, a spiritual experience where she sees God and she sees her next journey instead of her life very differently. And all of a sudden, everything shifts, and the person closest to her in her life who is supposed to stand alongside her, this person who is her fiancé, has decided he's not really sure if he can take this next stint of the journey with her, if he can stand alongside her, if he can really believe that God is birthing something new in her. He is not sure. And so we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1, a familiar story to probably to many of us. Beginning in verse 18, it says, This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Very on brand for Joseph here. Joseph very much so could have shamed her, treated her terribly, but instead Amidst his feelings of disappointment and hurt and perhaps just downright anger and feeling of betrayal, he could have tapped into those vengeful feelings that all of us humans feel when someone has wronged us. But that is not the posture that Joseph takes. Joseph instead chooses to figure out how to just create a boundary between him and Mary because of the hurt that's been created. How to just release her and let her go because he just can't see anything good, anything divine, anything beautiful, anything about God in what she has just shared with him that she is with child and it's not his. And I want us to just think about this for a moment. That he, he, I, I've said this before and I want to say this again. Remember that forgiveness and mercy, they live between the motives of getting revenge to hurt someone just as badly as they've hurt you and creating a boundary so they can't hurt you any further. Those are two very different distinctions. And forgiveness and mercy finds itself somewhere in the middle. And we have to be discerning when we create boundaries. That am I really creating a boundary to protect myself or am I just trying to get even? 
And that's exactly what Joseph is wrestling with here, right? He's, he's, he's probably dealing with those emotions. Of he, he would love to shame her and, and perhaps to, to oust her to the whole community so that they know what she has done and how she has hurt them and, and so that no one in the community thinks that, that maybe they've had sex before marriage and all of a sudden that it's Joseph that has been so awful and terrible here that he did not wait. He, he, perhaps he, he wanted to protect his own integrity and his own rap and Yet he doesn't do that. He finds himself in this middle ground of not seeking revenge, but simply creating a boundary. Because Mary has experienced something that Joseph does not understand. Mary has an experience with the divine. She has an experience with her own sexuality. She has this experience with her body and her, and her faith. She has an experience with her own faith and her future, with her faith and with her family. And this has caused Joseph to question, can he walk into the next season instant of his life with her? He's wrestling, and as he wrestles, let's see how the rest of the story plays out. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, just in case you didn't know who you were. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her, just make that very clear, with her, um, so that the, until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. I love that they added it in there, because you know, obviously the church fathers want to like very clear that, like, you know, this was, Mary was a virgin, there's no possible chance, this could have been Joseph's child, right? Like, this was just very clear. But jo- so Joseph, he's, he's wrestling with if he can support Mary, and then he has what? Divine intervention. And this divine intervention softens his heart and opens his mind enough that he makes the decision, actually, actually, I think I can see what Mary's going through. Actually, I think I can understand what Mary is experiencing. Actually, I think I can walk into this next journey. Can I get an amen? If you know somebody that needs to have a divine intervention so that they can see the work that God is doing in you. Do you know somebody? But more than that, let's take a step further. Do you need the courage from the Holy Spirit? Do you need divine intervention so that you can walk alongside somebody that maybe experiences you don't understand? someone's understanding and experiences of God you don't quite align with, do you need the courage to have those conversations, to walk alongside people? What are the the ways in which we, like Joseph, need God to come and to intervene so that we can be faithful with the things that God is showing us the reality is, is that I think many of us, we wish we could stand you know, alongside uh, or people could stand alongside us and have these divine interventions, but that doesn't always happen, right? Joseph got this really special moment, and I know, know there's many people in my life that I just wish that an angel of the Lord would come crashing through and declare their name and tell them, you need to listen to Josh. He's got it right. <laughs> but reality is it's not going to happen. And there's a lot of things in my life and people in my life who I think that um, I've placed myself in such a way that they are voices of divine intervention that soften and open my mind and my heart to be able to see them and their experiences in new ways. But that is uncomfortable, and there are many times when my defenses rise or my experiences get in the way, but, but we all need what Joseph experienced to soften our heart. And, and to me, I love that Joseph's heart was, softened, was soft enough 
that when the Spirit came, he could listen. And I think that sometimes that's the hardest part for me is to make sure that my heart is remaining soft and not hard. And as someone who came out of evangelicalism, I am quick to be a skeptic because I trusted leaders and people and they led me astray. And so sometimes it's hard to have the heart that's open for divine intervention. But I have to place myself at a place to go. But if I want to continue to grow, if I want to continue to heal, if I want to continue to see myself and God and others, then I must have a soft heart. I must be open. We all probably know these feelings. I mean, we don't know a lot about Joseph, but we know that he's a human who experienced disappointment. He had pictured his life playing out one way. He had pictured his life marrying Mary, ironic, and he had pictured himself probably having children from his own offspring. He had pictured himself growing up and raising these children in a very Jewish home, perhaps that that child would, 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 would get older and they would get married and they would bear grandchildren. And all of a sudden, Joseph has to let go of all of these hopes and these dreams and these expectations because life was not about to turn out the way he thought. And I'm sure there are some people in this room who know that feeling well. Perhaps some of you in this room who've, who've had trouble uh, getting pregnant or haven't been able to bring a child fully to term, or brought a child fully to term, and then it didn't survive. To grapple with the the pain and the disappointment and the hurt of, of expectations, of hopes, and then all of a sudden everything changes and you don't know what to do with it. Or those of you who, who perhaps raised children and, and, and all of a sudden they've made decisions that you just can't understand why they would make them. Or they're headed in a direction that, that you don't understand and you don't agree and that's not what you pictured and you're having to let go and embrace what it is that God maybe is showing them of their next journey. We know these feelings. We know the feelings of anger and disappointment and grief and sadness over the death of a loved one who died much too early. We know the feelings of of loss from a job or those of us in this church who I know moved to New York City to get into the arts and then the pandemic hit. And you just can't seem to find work again because everyone and their mother and their brother and their sister are looking for the work. And you're just not sure, why am I even here? We know that feelings of sadness and anger and disappointment over illness or financial losses or, or perhaps for some of us in this room today, we know those feelings, uh, those of us who maybe be in our 50s or our 60s and, and, and our life looks very different than how we'd imagined in our 20s or our 30s. And we're, we're not quite sure how to grapple with that reality. And maybe we even believe the narrative that's often whispered into our ears that your best days are behind you. But let me tell you something this morning. Your best days are not behind you. They are not behind you. God has something good for you. God has not done with you until this stops ticking. And then even after that stops ticking, your story can still make an impact and make a change that you may never even know. Your best days aren't behind you. Your best days are before you, before we are from generation to generation as we are in this series. And the beauty of generation to generation is that your story doesn't stop when this stops ticking. You are molding people. You are investing and loving in people that will make your story go well beyond what you could even have ever even asked, thought, or imagined. And Joseph was part of something bigger. Mary was part of something bigger. And they had to let go of what they had expected and embrace the unknown. Many of us, we've experienced this in many different ways. And we have to invite God to meet us in the midst of that. Whether that's disappointment, we've also probably, I know this church well to know enough that many of us have experienced disappointment in our families not responding the way we want to when we come out to them. Or 
those in our congregation who are hurt and broken, that their white kinfolk, even in this church, will not listen to their lived experiences and to understand and hear it and to understand their journey and their spiritual experience and their expressions of faith. And we're being invited in to realize that everyone has different divine experiences. Everyone lives differently in our bodies. And when we don't place ourselves at that place, anger, hurt, disappointment, frustration rises. What is it that you need divine intervention of? We all need divine intervention for someone to understand us, and we all need divine intervention for ourselves so that we can understand others. And we can journey with them in the next stages of life, like Mary and Joseph were called to journey next to one another. I don't know what it is that you're deciding today, but I know that Joseph, he had to decide if he was going to dis- disown or display his love for, for Mary. And he made the hard decision to display it and to display it well through this divine encounter. I think sometimes when we go through these challenges, it's easy for us to ask God to, to change a situation or a circumstance. But I think really the big thing, and I think that's important, we have to go through that lamenting, right? Like, God, heal me. God, restore this relationship. God, repair my marriage. God, help me, help us to bear this child that we're desiring. Whatever that may be. God, help my family to accept me. God, whatever that may be, we we name it. It's part of lamenting. And Jesus did it in the garden on his way to Gethsemane. And Paul did it when his thorn in the flesh. We do it, right? We, We lament. We ask God to change it. But there does come a point in the journey when we stop asking God to change God's mind and we ask God to change our hearts. And help God to help us accept the next stage and journey in our life and the people that God will place in our lives on our way through it. So I'll ask us this morning, what is it that you need divine intervention, both for yourself and for others to understand you? What is it that you're trying to ask God to do in you? Invite us this morning, like Joseph, to keep our hearts open. To be people that when God speaks, when God visits us in the most unexpected ways, that our hearts would be open enough to hear, to receive what God is saying to us. Speaking about dreams, um, sometimes that's exactly the way God communicates with me because our, our unconscious mind, as often, and all the walls and barriers that we've built up, often fall down during our dreams. As I said earlier, um, Austin and I got married about two months ago, and I've been spending the last few months sort of processing some hurt that happened at our wedding. You know, it was a beautiful day. It couldn't have been any better than we could have imagined. Um, it was it, the service executed exactly as we had hoped, and so many people that we love were there. And it was what we would describe as perfect. Um, but there weren't perfect people there. There were imperfect people there. And that was hard to navigate that. Uh, I shared when I preached a few months ago that um, we were discerning how we were going to navigate the relationship inviting my father to the wedding. My father and I had made an agreement that he would not drink the day of the wedding, and if he did not drink, he could come to the wedding. And he agreed to such things, and I texted him the night before to remind him of the agreement. But yet, at that morning of our wedding, my father came intoxicated, highly intoxicated. And so after the ceremony and after family photos, I just leaned over to him and I said, you broke your commitment, you will not be going to the reception today. He got loud and upset, and we exchanged a few words, and I said, I'm going in now, and I pushed my grandma in her wheelchair into the, in, into the uh, venue. I'm going to tell you, uh, living with a father or a parent who's an addict, it requires a ton of boundaries, but those boundaries don't often void our disappointment. 
No matter what I could have done in that scenario, whether I had not invited him or I had asked him to leave, I was going to be grappling with disappointment. All that I could do was create the best boundaries I could to not harm him, but also to protect myself from being harmed. And as I've wrestled with the anger and the betrayal and the disappointment of that, of those experiences, and my father saying things like, if you have to deal with my alcoholism, then I, he's like, if, if I have to deal with your homosexuality, then you have to deal with my alcoholism. And me going, I don't understand. Those are very different comparisons. <laughs> wow, have you been drinking? Um, and living with those tensions is hard. But last week, um, I kept having these dreams of men in my life who have tried to be father figures coming and visiting me at my wedding, deciding to show up last minute and me hugging them and embracing them and them saying that they were sorry that they hadn't supported me after I came out and that they were here now. Several men throughout my life who played huge roles in standing in for my father and who are now gone out of my life. And these dreams were both healing and also revealing. And I sat with all the emotion of what I was feeling and experiencing. And I decided, you know, on on social media, it's easy to write post all the good things. And I thought, I feel like I need to share, like, the hard things about our wedding. And so I made a post about this. And so many comments came in of people who were identifying with those experiences, with how hard that was. But I got one particular text from somebody who said this to me. I'm so proud of you for choosing a better way for your generational line. And as she said that, I thought, wow, that hit home. Particularly because we're in this series called From Generation to Generation. And how we have the power, right, to choose a better way. We have, a ch- a pow- we have, we have the power to, to choose a different way to open our hearts to what God is doing or to close our hearts to what God is doing, to, to, to open our hearts with compassion and grace and mercy. And I, I began to think about how, yes, you know what, there is a history of drinking in my family. My great-grandfather was a bootlegger, and my great-grandfather was a bootlegger in Tennessee. And there's this history of drinking and alcoholism in my family. And three of my aunts, or two of my aunts and, one of, and, and my father all struggle with drinking. And I began to think about how, like, last night, Austin and I had people over, and I, I just took a few drinks, and I had a terrible headache the next morning, just because my body, in some ways, has begun to, as, as, in some ways, it's weirdly enough, it's rejected this. And, and I have really no interest in it. And there's a lot of ways that other things can be tempting for me, and I have to make decisions often to make sure, am I choosing to change the generational line in my family? Am I choosing a different way? Am I choosing to, to believe what God has said about me? And I often share my story with different people, and they go, how did you turn out the way you did? And I, and I, I know it sounds super evangelical, like, you know, cringy, but I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> like, really, like, Jesus grounded me and gave me clarity and gave me direction and gave me a sense of purpose and meaning and love that shifted everything for me. And while there were men that were not at my wedding that didn't show up to stand alongside me as Joseph stood along Mary in the next stint and season of her life, while there were people in high school and college who were not standing up and not present and not there for me as I entered this next fruity season of my life, guess what? There were people that were there that did choose. And I knew as we flew back to New York that I would have this community that would continue to stand alongside Austin and I as we take the next stint of our journey. And while there is grief and sadness that meets me in my dreams, there is also joy and hope to know that we are not alone.
And so as we wrap up this message this morning, I want to invite us to ask the questions, how can you choose a better way for your generation to line? How can you choose a better way to be a person who seeks deeper understanding about other people and their differences and their experiences? How can you be a person that both acknowledges the pain and the hurt of people while also acknowledging the joy that is amidst the pain? There were people who commented on my post, just focus on the good, just focus on the happy day, and just focus on all the people that were there. And I say, yes, and. Let us not reject and deny the fact that there is pain there because guess what? It will visit you in your dreams. Your body will not let you escape it. And the generational trauma that we hold in our bodies is real from our experiences and others. So let us not deny it. Let us acknowledge it. And let us choose a better way to both walk in solidarity with people that need us and who have different experiences while also praying and trusting for divine intervention as we grieve those who have not been able to walk alongside us as Joseph walked alongside Mary. Amen? Amen. Invite you at this time, whatever is heavy on your heart, your joys or your sorrows, the good and the bad, share it in the comments today, and we'll share it together as a community. Any prayers that you may have, we'll lift up. Uh, We're in winter solace time, right? And it's the longest night of the year is coming uh, in the middle of the season, which is the beauty of Advent. It's the growing light that keeps coming as the days, the light returns again and doesn't get dark at 4 p.m. As we draw near closer and closer to the light of Christ, these are all images for us to, to look upon in nature and in church history and the cadences of liturgy to be able to be reminded that the hope, the light is coming. Amen? We pray with me. God, we thank you for the ways that you have met us here today. We thank you for the ways that you have extended your love to us through this community. While we also acknowledge the pain, the grief, the sadness of people that we wish were still in our lives. God, we thank you that you are a comforter. And so comfort us in the midst of our pain. But we also thank you that you promised to guide us into all truth. And so Holy Spirit, help us to see both our truth and the truth and experiences of others so that we can walk alongside them. In Christ's name, we thank you for all of these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.